0: Welcome to the Fitness and Color podcast, where we follow and highlight the experiences of people of color in the wellness and fitness industry, telling their stories in their own words.
1: Whereas I felt like before 2020, I a lot of the work that I did, I felt like I was still having to prove that racism still existed, that disparity existed. But with 2020, it was like, everything's coming to light. You know, you can't deny it anymore kind of a thing. So in a way, I almost felt like for me and with the purpose of Diverse We Run, it almost made it easier because then it was like, okay, I can stop trying to convince you that racism exists and give you now resources, you know, and direct you to people who have been doing the work and let me share with you now these stories and examples of runners of black runners who yes very you know very much are at risk for their safety and their lives every time you know they go for runs you know like here are the people who you know who back up these stories, stories.
0: Hey Carolyn, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Yes, yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's it's been really cool to to connect and get to know you more, but also get to see you know pioneers and everything that you've been working on um, continue to come into fruition in the last <laughs> few months. So yeah.
0: Thank you. It's I've been trying to get you on for a few months, so I don't know who's <laughs> more busy, you or me. <laughs>
1: i don't know <laughs> we're all oh this is life has been ugh, <laughs> in know, the last year half. Yeah, so i know i know
0: and it doesn't make it easier when we're you know at the forefront of some of the social issues that are going on and always mm-hmm. feeling like we have to speak up and and so like that also i know puts a lot on just like normal life the stresses of being a mom and of you know uh, a caretaker and mm-hmm. <laughs> having to you know do all that so i know we'll cover all that so i don't want to jump too much into it but yeah so i found you because actually i found you because someone connected me to you and i was like yeah i actually you know the first time i heard your name i was on the run duo podcast yes i was like, just about to say
1: yes uh-huh <laughs> and like, India. There's a friend of mine. <laughs>
0: there's a friend of mine up in boston her name's carolyn i'm like Carolyn, I don't know. I've been in a running game for a while. I don't know, no, Carolyn. And so um, that was the first time. But then um, I I think that's how we got connected or it was then something. So yeah, tell us about what you're doing in in running. And um,
1: yeah. Before I get into that, I'll tell you how I first learned about you. It was actually a few years ago when I first started to explore the running community a little bit more, at least, you know, via the internet and um, trying to... just connect with more runners in the Boston area, which is where both of us are. And I learned of the Heartbreakers, the Heartbreak Hill Running Company. And honestly, I was kind of just looking for any person of color. And it just kind of is like a default, default habit of mine. And I found your Instagram account was like, okay, I'm going to follow him. And but so you were really just like, someone that i knew of online from afar and then india cook india and tommy you know after they had you on the run duo india reached out to me and told me that we should connect i listened to your interview and i was like starstruck and i also felt like oh my gosh like i want to reach out to him because it seems like our mission and our values and vision you know are so aligned but i just get so into my head i had this like dm composed <laughs> for the longest time of like okay how do i reach out to this person without coming across <laughs> as like some psycho stalker and i was telling my friend courtney and allison and they were just like carolyn just just tap send just send it <laughs> like stop overthinking and overanalyzing. <laughs> So we're like, we'll sit here and wait until you send it.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, oh I'll God. do
1: it. And that is how I sent my first message to you.
0: <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Oh, man, that's, that's hilarious because I, I, I feel equally about you. Like I'm like, how, how, many, how many times do I hit her up? Like is she too busy? Like I don't know. like and then you were connected and then you started connecting me with people, you know who I wasn't connected to, like mm-hmm. marathon sports and some people at Tracksmith. Mm-hmm and other i think you even yeah you you put me on with um fast women Um, oh yeah 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 allison Allison yeah and and so i was like i felt the same way i was like (laughs) she's like you know she's connected in all these ways and so you know um but that's really cool so yeah awesome awesome story to share thank you
1: yeah so i guess like to answer your question (laughs) from the beginning. I'm Carolyn Sue. I um, am Taiwanese American. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And I lived in Houston and in Austin for most of my life. Yeah. Yeah, most of my life. And but now um, my family and I, we've been in the Boston area for the last eight, eight years. Yeah, we moved here 2013. And I was a dietitian by trade. But now I am uh stay-at-home mom and activist, writer, <laughs> advocate. <laughs> I wear a lot of different hats as I think most of us do. And yeah, today, what did I do today? I am solo parenting right now because my husband is out of town for a few weeks and my kids have been doing virtual school. So yeah, and I'm also just, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know Like they're going to be, the list can be endless, but this has been my day so far navigating that. And um, I'm actually in between workouts. I went on a short bike ride and then talking here right now. And after our talk, we're I'm going to go do my strength workout. <laughs> nice. Oh and my pack goodness. Pack it all in
0: pack it all in so when do you have time to run diverse we run
1: (laughs) (laughs) good question (laughs) i mean it's really just out of the margins of life it feels like i mean this i don't know
0: when you love something you you find time for. you
1: just do it yeah exactly i have never been someone who um, can really operate well after 5 (laughs) p.m i'm totally a morning person daytime person but you know just with life i really don't have time to think through things or um, brainstorm or write any of the diversity run features until after the kids go to bed. So usually that's not until, I'm not back downstairs (laughs) until like 9 p.m. Just trying to make sure I get everything done, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure you understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Great, so I wanna get to know Carolyn growing up in Houston Mm -hmm. and how you found running, how you came to create this space that focuses on diversity in running and finding and connecting people who are more diverse or who are non-white and you know a size two uh yes. and who wanted to started running to lose you know baby fat
1: right mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. i have read
0: that a couple of times about you is that's that's what you saw in, uh, mm-hmm. and uh when you were following runners and when you were listening to podcasts that's what you saw and mm-hmm. um, you wanted to change that and so yeah, so tell me about your, your childhood growing up in houston are you, yeah. do you have how many what year did your parents immigrate here and what mm-hmm. how many siblings do you have and yeah what kind of want to know it all
1: oh gosh yeah <laughs> well, we're gonna get into the details here well i i have one sister one younger sister and my parents actually came over um at this point now i don't know exactly what year but they came over as grad students from taiwan And I don't I mean, I don't know how many people know this, but really for someone for for someone to come over, at least from a country like Taiwan or China, you have to have either you have to have a good amount of money, first of all, but you also have to have a high enough education it is really, really competitive academically. I think in many, many countries and many parts of the world, you know, education is so important. And education is really what can provide the opportunities for a better future, you know, however, you might categorize that. And so that was the case for my parents, you know, I mean, starting from elementary schools in Taiwan, the standardized testing there is way more intense and competitive than any of the standardized testings that we have here. Because whatever school you can test into, you know, starting in elementary school, you know, it determines the middle school you get into. And then you do another round of standardized testing that gets you into the high school, and then another round to get you to the highest tier of um, universities. And really, it's only, there's only two uh, main universities in the entire island of Taiwan um, that can really actually offer you, I guess, quote unquote, like more white collar jobs um, or actually provide you with more options. And if you don't make that, then it's kind of like the rest of your life is like set on another trajectory for you, which is a lot of pressure. But both of my parents were able to basically test and get into an opportunity to to come to the states. So they came over as grad students, as I said. So in their 20s, they didn't know each other. They met uh, met, (laughs) um, at uh, Kansas State University. That's where their grad programs were. And um, listening to their stories sometimes when they do think of them to share, it's, I mean, it's just so... It's so humbling, you know, Mm. and it makes me recognize how privileged, you know, I have, uh, how privileged of a life I have been afforded. And, um, Anyway, we can <laughs> into that later. But like my parents, my mom would tell me stories of how in the summers when all the other grad students um, would go home, you know, for school summer vacation, she and the the little international students fellowship people, you know, they couldn't afford to fly internationally back to their home countries. And what they would do is they would all chip in their money and buy a used car. Usually they would try to get like a van or something, and then they would drive over from Kansas to Vegas, <laughs> where they uh, they would find like a, a an apartment to all be able to stay in all together. <laughs> people sleeping on like the ground and whatnot, and then um and then they would find jobs in the hotels as like the um cleaning cleaning people or like linens, you know, like turn down service and all of that. And so and that's how they would then like save up money through the entire summer, they would work and save up money so that they could pay for their their college education, you know, for the next year. And anyway, I just, and that's why like my mom wow. <laughs> knows how to like fold flat sheet fitted sheets, <laughs> shams, comforters, like perfectly, because those are just like the skill sets that, that she learned as a grad student, nice. but.
0: That's some hustle. See now we you know what the hustle. We, where where do you get the hustle from?
1: <laughs> That's just what it is. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, my sister and I we were born in Houston, and really for the elementary school years, the area of Houston that we lived in was very diverse uh, ethnically and culturally. So mm-hmm. majority of my friends were black, Hispanic, Filipino, Vietnamese. Uh, I really I think I had very few white white friends neighbors and classmates and that was just that was like that was my life and that was life as i knew it and that was the norm and then it wasn't until i was old enough to go to middle school that um, my parents moved us to a different different part of houston with quote unquote you know like better schools because Mm -hmm. obviously then like there was more funding and as a result we moved from that very diverse area to a very uh, a more homogenous um, sub suburb, and it was predominantly white. And that was yeah, that was really when I started to experience or learn, learn to feel ashamed and embarrassed of who I was as a Taiwanese American person. Because up until then, I mean, I had encountered racism when I was in elementary school, but a lot of that was not necessarily directed towards me personally. It was what I saw of, you know, the, the white teachers or school principals and how they would treat my my black classmates. And, you know, as a kid, you don't necessarily understand what is happening, but you can feel and sense that it's not, that something is wrong, you know? But in starting in middle school and then entering into high school, that was when I really saw, like uh, just experienced a lot of microaggressions, but really experienced a lot more overt discrimination. And in middle school, I remember when the there was just a group of parents from like various PTOs uh, in the in the area who went to the school board or city council to ask that the city, limit the amount of Asian families that were moving in because they because the Asian kids were ruining the the curve, the grade curve um, for their students, <laughs> you know? <Some> yeah. Mike. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. And I just remember as a kid listening to my parents, like overhearing my parents uh, talking about that to their um, their friends, you know, their their Asian peers and feeling the sense of like one of course there was like this in incredulousness uh you know of the fact that like these parents would feel so indignant but instead of wanting to like help their kids get up to speed they want to be
0: mediocre they so want
1: to <laughs> <laughs> they'd rather just keep out <laughs> the people the competition um so there was that but then also this sense of like is it gonna be okay that we stay here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or is the city actually gonna act upon this? That kind of a feeling and, you know, that question, that uncertainty, basically. That mm-hmm. that was, I think, the first sense of otherness, you know, that I felt coming from my parents, you know, and people who are my parents' age. And that's, I mean, and that's really unsettling, right? Um, to To experience this uncertainty of like, do we belong? even though as a kid, you know, like, why would that question ever have to come up for you to process? You know, do I belong here? Does my family belong here? But anyway, just there were a lot of incidents like that. And there were a lot Mm -hmm. of racially charged fights that broke out when I was in high school between the white students and the Asian American students. And there was, yeah, yeah, including like there was one time where I, some of my, my guy friends were out playing basketball <laughs> in, in the driveway of uh, one of their homes. And this pickup truck full of white high school students um, pulled up and they like, they had shotguns with them and like came out and was asking because they were looking for a specific, it was, they were looking for a senior that we knew, um, but who wasn't there playing basketball at the time. And then my friends were just like, we don't know where he is. And and the guys thankfully just like got back in their truck and drove away. But it was kind of like, first of all, where are your parents? And like, what are you doing? What were you expecting to do? You know, what what were you expecting to happen if he was there? And so anyway, just things like that. That was just like, okay this is i guess a part of life yeah the south is different
0: <laughs> not that is we don't it, have those is issues <laughs> here that's what i say not that we don't have those issues here mm-hmm. because we do they're you know that's like openly like pull up with a shotgun driving in yeah, the yeah, yeah. back of your truck and like mm-hmm. you know versus here i mean listen you're right though is it though <laughs> <laughs>
1: i mean because yeah. i think back to, as I'm you sure talk we about all your mm-hmm. yeah
0: as you talk about your experience i think about mine too like i you know i grew up i was through middle school mm. in a community i live in a so i live in Corner, which is a vietnamese community mm. and so like you know i had friends of you know just like you did like you know asians latinos black and then when you're in boston you're either like you know you're dominican you're cape Verdean, right. you're jamaican you're haitian so like we broke it all the way down yeah, yeah. but then yeah and then going to a different school in high school was when I was like, mm-hmm. huh, like, do I belong here? That like first feeling mm-hmm. of like, do I belong? And that was the first time I felt it too. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, those yeah. are things that kids that the kids shouldn't have to feel. Um, I mean, but what is America? It is life, mm-hmm. and so you know, I'm sure your parents felt it. My parents felt it. You know, my parents. That I was going to mention earlier. My parents. They came here, and they the first thing they did was work at hotels. They actually met oh. at the Sheraton.
1: Oh, um, you know, really? Working. Yeah, they met uh-huh, at the Sheraton.
0: Uh-huh working and uh-huh. you know flipping rooms cleaning yep. rooms yeah um and so <laughs> that's how my parents met <laughs> um, the great
1: bonding <laughs> yeah no sorry <laughs> who no. knew that was good that's gonna be the place for immigrants to <laughs> to meet and connect i mean yeah
0: what are the job you know, at the time what other jobs were? yeah you know, were they getting they didn't speak english you know yeah yep. it was just mm-hmm. like in one of those mm-hmm. things where you come into an immigrant community and you're like all right where are all the people who speak like me and look like me. It's like you go into a fast food place, right? You go to the Burger King in Dorchester. It's like all Cape Verdeans. You go to the Mm -hmm. Dunkin' Donuts over here. It's all Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. It's like, where do you Mm -hmm. find your people that speak your language? Uh, Yeah. And so.
1: And that's where uh, the network is, you know? That's where the Uh, network is. Whoever so-and-so's sons or daughter or cousin got a job here and like there are opportunities there. So, you know, that's where everyone's going to go. That kind of thing. Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So when... I had read that you didn't really play sports as a kid. No. Um, yeah. What would you do as a kid?
1: <laughs> yeah, what I did as a kid. Well, elementary school kid, I was pretty active. Like I played soccer with my friends, and you yeah. know we rode bikes everywhere, that kind of thing. But like I said, you know, both my parents immigrants, they worked full time jobs all the time. Like for as long as I've known, um, my sister and I were latchkey kids, and most months of any given year. We also had relatives, you know, living with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yep. it's like
0: an open door this policy. Is... Yep. We had <laughs> bedrooms in my house uh-huh. that we could, my brother and I could not share a bedroom. Like we had bedrooms so that we didn't have to share. Oh, oh, oh. However, <laughs> however, there was always one extra bedroom available yes. because there was always that uncle, cousin, yep. third cousin, fifth cousin yeah. that came yeah. and needed a place to be. Yes. And so me and my yep. brother shared a bedroom I would say until I probably moved out and, um, and we had actually, yeah, it was. Yeah. So that's so funny. I forgot yeah. about that. There's yeah. always that one. Yeah. So
1: it's never just Go your ahead. nuclear family. Right. And <laughs> and sometimes it's not even like your actual blood relative. It's <laughs> yeah. it's whomever is called auntie your uncle. And, you know, <laughs> whoever just needs a place to stay. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yep. So um, we never really there was no other, I think, um, category for mm-hmm. recreational sports for my parents they knew of fine arts because that also was esteemed in in Taiwan and then also mm-hmm. you can and also it's like great for brain development and all this stuff too but um but yeah so Really we were in we were in choir uh, each of my sister and I we played a different stringed instrument and we also played piano. So those were the extracurricular activities that I did. I was also in high school then I was in orchestra and so we traveled and did, did that symphony orchestra. but yeah there was no category for sports at least not until Christy Yamaguchi and then Michael Wang you know <laughs> made yeah, it in yeah. tennis and and then all of a sudden it was like, my whole family, every weekend, we would go to the tennis courts <laughs> and like play tennis. Isn't um, <laughs> that wild how
0: like representation matters? Like yes. there was no sport yes. until, you know, it was completed at the highest level.
1: <laughs> yes, because then there's some level of visibility there. Yeah, And because um, uh, Christy Yamaguchi came before Michael Wang. And mm-hmm. I just remember like our whole Chinese American community would would plan events around watching her watching all the figure skating competitions you know just so we could see her and all the all the kids we all wanted to be figure skaters <laughs> but unfortunately that also requires some level of skill and you know and equipment and access to high skating rings which we did not have and then later michael wang became more uh, well known and our family invested in getting tennis rackets. I actually joined or tried out for the tennis team in high school and was on that on the tennis team for a little while. But um, But yeah, there is such power in just seeing someone who looks like you be excellent in something, you know, and yeah, can represent absolutely. not just your people group, but like change what we innately know is this negative narrative that is put upon us you know, as foreigners, essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, here. And so I think that that's why um, representation matters so much. And that's why, at least I I would say for myself, I clung to these icons, you know.
0: Hey friends, I wanna take a quick break to tell you about a project that I've been working on and I'm so excited to share with you. After a year and a half of product research, design and development, we are proud to finally launch pioneers running apparel fusing high performance fabrics with streetwear design aesthetics creating a new category of athleisure wear called performance streetwear we have selected the highest quality european performance fabrics some of which are made of recycled industrial waste such as discarded fishing nets head over to pioneers.com to learn more that's p-y-n-r-s dot And now back to the show. So then did sport become something that you did as a family more and more, or was that kind of like a period of time where like, you know, you were like thinking about it and was immersed in it. And then after that, you know, it went away.
1: Yeah, it definitely the latter, I think, um, you know, uh, but then also I uh, ask because
0: I remember <laughs> when the World Cup would come around and we would uh-huh. like all rally around. We would actually rally around Brazil. I don't know why, uh-huh. even though like because our country would never obviously make it. And then we, but we would think that a country that was colonized by the Portuguese, you would go for Portugal, but we weren't. We were, we were like mm-hmm. we would root for Brazil, mm-hmm. and so we would all get become rabid, you know, soccer fans uh-huh. during world cup and then after that go away so that's why i'm I'm kind of thinking and asking if that's the same for you guys
1: yeah um, but also just because life and my parents were always very active and involved with the local uh, local chinese immigrant communities as well as our church community and so going to Play tennis together as a family wasn't. It usually just ended up taking a backseat to other yeah. needs, you know, that came up. So I really didn't do anything else until college when I started to explore running a little bit more.
0: And how'd you how'd you get into running? How'd you start exploring? Oh
1: <laughs> yeah, <it? laughs> that's good to that. So i I actually started running because I was trying to control an eating disorder that I developed uh, starting in middle school, starting when I was um, 13. And things just got really uh, intense, I would say, when I entered college, because there were just, I mean, entering college, first of all, like when you're moving anywhere to a new city, that's already a big life change. But entering college from growing up (laughs) in, you know, this like sheltered home space. That's also a huge life change as well for many reasons, but one of which also just like socially and developmentally searching for your identity and significance, you know, worth and all of that. um, All of those factors compounded into just me feeling extremely overwhelmed. I was also just never taught how to process my own emotions, anxiety, stressors. I did not feel like I could ever ask for help in any of these things too. And I think a lot of that comes from an immigrant mindset, as, at least I would say for the um, Chinese American mindset of like, you, you, you just deal with it. You know, your own things, your own issues, your own baggage, whatever, like you just deal with it. But I couldn't continue dealing with these things anymore. And so a lot of that manifested into me just trying to control at least, you know, like my 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 physical appearance to try to fit in you know, to whatever social beauty, you know, standards were the norm at the time. And I had already had a gym membership ever since I was 14. And by the by the time I got to college, really, I felt like I had tried every other (laughs) form of exercise and running was just something I hadn't really done or explored. And so I just found. <laughs> I, I I found a, a friend of mine who um, went on runs from time to time. And so he and I ran from the University of Texas campus to the state capitol and back. That was about three miles. Mm-hmm. And like, I really have no other recollection on how, how that felt. Was it painful? Did I like it or anything like that? Because I was just... Purely focused on how many calories did I burn? Did it justify the food that I ate? You know beforehand. So anyway, so that really was how running entered into oh. my uh, my life. But fortunately, it has evolved and things have changed <laughs> since yes. then.
0: And you've grown to run to love running.
1: Yes, yes, I have, and I appreciate it a lot more than just simply a weight loss tool. Running is just. Yeah, I I mean I I feel like I talk about this all the time. Maybe or maybe I just think this to myself, but like yeah, running is just so much more than just an activity or an action, you know, that you do. It really it changes you. It changes who you are. It teaches you more about yourself. It teaches you about others, about the world, and now I think we've been seeing more and more in the recent years, running is a form of activism and advocacy, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which has been really, really cool to see. And this is the kind of community that, that for me, I personally, that I value, you know, and I find this to be so world changing, you know? Yeah, So I definitely agree. Mm
0: -hmm. Before we go there, what community of running did you have in Houston, in Austin before moving to Boston?
1: I didn't really have any um, because, well, again, because I entered into running, seeing it more as a tool for a different goal. You know, I didn't Mm -hmm. see it as something where I wanted to meet other people. Um, It wasn't until much later that that I did start to enjoy the sport more and I would see other people around running and and we would talk. Yeah. And it would be like a, a point in which after you connect with someone, oh, you like running, I like running, da-da-da, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, a lot of my education on the runners world came from runner's world magazines. Wow. You know? I I got a subscription to that and like that's that's just what I thought running was. Like I have the subscription and if I want to train for a race, I can find a race plan. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Like it's an individual sport. There was never, it really just wasn't the idea of a running community. I don't think it really got built out until like, I don't know, the last decade, right? At least. Because before then, social media was not a big thing either. Maybe like blogs came along. (laughs) But yeah, like even when you look at magazines, it was always, there would always just be like, it's an individual who's featured. There's never like, A group, right? So that's just kind of the notion. It's like unless you're on some kind of athletic team, it's just you running.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I so, can see that. Yeah, it's so. I mean, it's just a way different experience than how mm-hmm. I got into running. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. In terms of distance, at least you know I was a sprinter, mm-hmm. but in terms of dis distance, you know, like I have never subscribed to Runner's World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never looked. I don't know. But I, I, I do remember, yeah, you're right that running as a community, really the last half of the decade is really when you started to see community mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. running. Like mm-hmm. prior to that, you weren't really seeing it. Yeah. You were seeing individuals. And if you did see groups group of people running, it was during the marathon. or yeah, like yeah. You see like high it's school kids event. grouped up together. Yeah. It's an event. You, yeah. Or you see high school kids grouped up together running. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Like four or five of them, no t-shirts.
1: Right, 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 right. <laughs> like
0: oh look at these guys like they're (laughs) runners got it (laughs) yeah 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 so okay so then you find yourself moving to boston yeah with your family Mm -hmm. and i had read that you were you know running and then also following a bunch of podcasts and then you reached out to a podcast to ask them to include more people that were or like include people that were not white because they were not doing that Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talk, talk to me about that <laughs> I want to go to oh, gosh, <laughs>
1: I'm like getting anxiety thinking about that again um, I really I'm trying to think back about like back to when if there was like one particular thing that sparked something, but I can't really Mm -hmm. identify that. But um, anyway, we moved to Boston 2013 and running again was still just more of an individual sport for me. Mm -hmm. And part of that also was because I had just had my, my second kid. He -hmm. was only two months when we moved over here and our family was just, uh, I mean, Moving here, there was a steep learning curve of adjusting to life out here versus life in Texas. With a two month old, that's, yes. that is
0: just a tough time to move.
1: And in March, which you know, March is still like in the middle of winter and blizzard season and um, just navigating life with two young kids, a husband who has a new job. We were dealing with a lot of mental health issues mm-hmm. that were undiagnosed at the time too. And so all of these things (laughs) combined um, for me, being able to just go out for like 45 minutes even to go on a run was my lifeline. And um, that was the time and the space that I had to just kind of breathe and then be able to come back and take care of everyone again. You know, so there really wasn't any leeway to to like go meet up for any group runs or anything. It was. Whenever I was able to get out the door, that was my time to run. So, yeah, that's kind of how things were until close to, I think, around 2017 when uh, basically my husband and I, we at that point, we started marriage counseling and uh, we started treating the anxiety and depression that my husband had been dealing with. And he started on medication for that. So things finally kind of started to stabilize more. Mm -hmm. And um, it allowed me then to to kind of get my head above the waters, so to speak, you know. And that's when I started to explore the running community, at least online, you know, on Instagram a little bit more. And that's when I discovered hashtags. Yay, (laughs) and started looking into, you know, hashtag Asian runners or hashtag (laughs) black runners and um, just trying to explore to see who else is out there. And I started to notice all the runners that were really popular, you know, just kept showing up in my feed, right? Um, And uh, or that different reposting sites would keep sharing kind of like the same Same type of runner, or the same runner, literally. And I also discovered at that time running podcasts, which was like a whole new like, whoa, okay, okay, we're that's how much people really love running. Like we're gonna, we're also gonna talk about running and listen to running. (laughs) So. So I started to listen and, you know, like when you when you binge watch a show or something, right, like you start picking up on, on patterns of behavior or characteristics of, of each character, you know, involved. And so that's basically what happened as I started listening to all these different, supposedly different runners and their stories. And I think I just started to notice like, okay, so it's another, it's yet another person who you know, did sports, middle school and high school, came from like a family with like high support, you know, and, and then didn't run for a while in college, but then later got married, had babies, decided to start running again to lose baby weight. And then now they're like qualifying for Boston every year and doing world majors and pring everything, you know, <laughs> which is Honestly, it is amazing and <laughs> I wish I I had some aspect of that kind of a storyline, but it really wasn't relatable to me. But also mm-hmm. it just started to make me wonder and think, is this really the entirety, like the entire scope of what running is? But based on the runners I had connected with through these other hashtags, I knew that, that was not that wasn't the complete picture. And just also from my own experiences um, as like we're a single income family and I didn't I didn't mention this earlier, but when my husband and I first got married and we had our um, we had our daughter, we were on government assistance, you know, and we were on WIC and I definitely couldn't like, I ran maybe one race uh, in a year (laughs) and I was getting my running shoes from like clearance sections at like discount stores, you know, and I was running in basketball shorts and old (laughs) t-shirts. But it seemed like in order to really call myself a runner, it seemed like I had to dress a certain way talk a certain way, look a certain way. And so all of those factors combined, you know, it had me just think like, this can't be it. <laughs> you know, there's got to be, there there have to be other runners who are getting featured. And maybe it's just that I'm not seeing them, you know, um, maybe these podcasters do know of other runners. And so I kind of like sat on these feelings and ideas for a while or thoughts, I should say, for a while. And I just remember there was one day, one time when um, one of these podcasters, um, posted pictures of the upcoming guests who were going to be on the show and i think there was also something about seeing like seeing the images all together of like eight to ten runners they're all look they they were all white all super lean even the women had just only sports bras on with like six-pack abs you know and like this is, these are all the people who are going to be featured and can't wait to hear their stories. And I just thought to myself, like, I think I already know what their stories are going to be like. But really, like, is that it? And so I reached out to this person and asked if they needed any suggestions of runners of color. Because I got some, you know. We and are here. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, and again, this is 2017. <laughs> so. You know, I mean, you know this. Even now, talking about race is so it can be so charged, you know, and yeah. um and controversial. But definitely, even just a few years ago, people were not <laughs> comfortable talking about race and diversity. And so So for the most part, every Did you get a response? Yes. Did you yes. get a response? Okay. Yes, yes. Thankfully this person was very very gracious, you know, appreciated my message, and but and was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, that thought came like, I, it occurred to me that maybe it it might look like there is a lack of diversity. Oh um, come on. <laughs> you know, but like that's not my intention. It might
0: look like it might sound like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, and of course, I was like, Oh, thanks so much for like, listening to my feedback and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And that was that. And so it really was like, yeah, it took it was a few months after that, that there was there were just other things that happened. You know, I attended different um, events that were supposed to be for like, for all runners, da da da. But of course, like, I show up and I'd be like, one of a handful of persons of color, you know, in the room, mm-hmm. and there's just—I I just felt like there was there's such a loss in perspective and opportunities, you know, for relationships and um, and growth, you know, when mm-hmm. you when you only have one segment of a community or a, of the world present and centered on you know and you also have a lot of blind spots that that you know you're not aware of. And um, after attending a few of these events where I just left feeling so like, ugh, why did I spend my time going you know because I would feel so um, drained. At having to like be on and having to yeah. almost like prove that like I belong, that my voice is worth listening to, you know, and that my experience is just as valid. Like I would feel so emotionally drained from all of those interactions. And at the same time, so just like discouraged at feeling like, why am I the only Asian person here, you know, in this community and space that's supposed to be for everyone or for all people. So finally, at the end of that (laughs) I just thought, you know what, like I have tried to reach out to people who have influence to bring this up. Nobody seems to feel comfortable. And also nobody really seems to have the network (laughs) with runners who are not white. So if no one else is gonna take the time to tell the stories of runners of color, then I'm gonna do it. And um, Mm. so, yeah, that's what I did.
0: (laughs) So do you have a writing background?
1: No, I don't. (laughs) I like to write. Okay.
0: And well, you're a good writer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love reading your features. And so you decided to find people mm-hmm. and start featuring them on your own Instagram account.
1: Yes. Yeah. I had kind of like a my my core team uh, runner friends that with whom I bounced ideas off of even just before I finally created this account. And then I had I came up with a list of questions to ask people. Mm-hmm. And yeah so i i would just like cold call people not cold call but like dm people you know that i would find through these hashtags and um i mean i started obviously i started with people whom i already had relationship with yeah and yeah it it was initially just a hashtag diversity run and after after cim 2019 i remember this (laughs) then i decided to officially make it into an instagram account
0: is that how you found india down in elena
1: yeah yes yes i don't i can't remember how i came upon the run duo podcast but i found about i found out about the podcast first and then Mm. i messaged them and was just like i just you know same with how i felt with you that like finding someone else who like felt the same way of like this is important. We need to have our voices heard and we're we're wanting to do something about it, you know? And just listening listening to India and Tommy talk. Oh my gosh. I love I love listening to them. But they're like my favorite podcast to listen to because you feel like you're sitting outside, you know, <laughs> having drinks and everyone's just like talking and laughing and shooting the breeze together and we're talking about running you know and right i just yeah. love that and they make running so accessible and truly accessible and non-pretentious or elitist and yes. so i reached out to them and i told them that and i was just like i appreciate what you're doing so much and i just i want to support you in whatever ways i can please just know that you have someone here <laughs> that you're not alone in doing this work and uh yeah that's how we connected
0: (laughs) yeah i love i love that they cover the full spectrum of running yes from elite to Mm -hmm. non-elite they do a really good job of that hey friends i want to take a quick break to tell you about a project that i've been working on and i'm so excited to share with you after a year and a half of product research design and development we are proud to finally launch pioneers running apparel Using high performance fabrics with streetwear design aesthetics, creating a new category of athleisure wear called Performance Streetwear. Head over to pioneers.com to learn more. That's PYNRS.com. And now back to the show. As you grew this platform, Mm -hmm. when did you find that it was like starting to pick up steam or like it, it sounds like it kind of built? you know, over time, mm-hmm. over the last three, going on four years now. Two, how... two
1: years. Two going two on years. three years. yeah, mm-hmm.
0: Two going on three years, sorry. <laughs> when did it start to pick up steam, I guess, or like, was mm-hmm. it kind of like a...
1: I would say it definitely, for the most part, felt like it was just little by little, which mm-hmm. honestly, I, I am okay with, <laughs> I'm fine with, because I did not set out to create this in order to like go viral or whatever. um, It's really yeah. like, I value I value who we are as runners. And I want to amplify our voices and experiences. Whomever can listen, please listen, you know, and whomever will mm-hmm. hear the message will hear the message. And I think that our stories will speak for themselves. So I just kind of had to com- continue to go Remind myself of those things because, yeah, I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of times where I feel like, does anybody even hear me? <laughs> you know, like, does anybody care? And I, and I so desire, like, with every single runner whom I feature so far, like, every person I'm just in awe of, you know, and I, yeah. I want their stories to be heard more. So that's, I'm like, I will tag everybody <laughs> so that, like, people will know and uh, know of who you are, you know? So I definitely, I'll focus on that, but I I guess I would say it was last year when Amelia Benton wrote the piece for Runner's World of um, 10 BIPOC runners, Oh, I don't remember what the exact title was that her, well, her editor wrote the title. But basically, it yeah. was her piece on, um she interviewed 10 different um, runners who are Black, Indigenous, persons of color to share our experience. And um and so I was part of that. And I think that that was the first time where all of a sudden there was this like influx okay. of followers for Diverse We Run. But yeah, I mean, it's always been, I think, kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah.
0: What's important to know, and you know this about starting something, it's like you're not starting it because you want, you know, like there's different reasons. Like, right? you're not, mm-hmm. from what I'm getting, you didn't start it to become like this person that people come to and, you know, that you want to go viral. You're not, you weren't necessarily trying to get anything out of it, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, to build something it really takes time and effort and there are days when no one shows up yeah right it's like no (laughs) different than when building a running team i'm sure you know there are days when you're like Mm -hmm. the only person yep you know like (laughs) now you'll be like oh you have this big running team and it's like you get all these people It was like yeah but there are days when there were two of us yeah yeah. and you just do it out of the love you do it out of Mm -hmm. just passion and so i definitely know what that feels like and you just start to see like when i see people who are just getting into running and just see how it changes them and see mm-hmm. how much they fall in love with it that's the joy that's what brings yes, you joy yeah and so i hear it in your voice when you're talking about when you are interviewing these people and you're listening to their stories you're like everyone has to know about this like, <laughs> yeah everyone needs to know about this mm-hmm. so i definitely uh, resonate with that so talk to me about 2020 mm. because i mean we connected in 2020 and Obviously, 2020 was a big year for activism Mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how Diverse We Run and the work that you're doing played into, you know, activism or how you step into the role of activism um, in 2020.
1: So aside from amplifying stories or sharing stories on Diverse We Run, you know, i I will also share different resources you know that I personally mm-hmm. have found helpful eye opening you know, and so I've always already done that prior to twenty twenty I would share them in the stories, and so that was already something that I did and but definitely uh, thinking about twenty twenty is like oh, my heart just feels, yeah. yes, so. 2020 we saw a lot of people having to make hard choices I guess on whether or not to speak up whether or not they were gonna take a stand on anything where or to evaluate even where they stood and I'm actually I'm really thankful for for the words um, and the work of of others, such as, you know, Allison, Alison <laughs> Desir, of course, or, you know, Jordan Marie Daniels brings three white horses, Latoya, you know, Latoya Shantae, yeah, a lot of people who had already been doing the work, and they their words, and posts, and even just like things that they created, like events or opportunities, um, space. Mm-hmm it was in a way it was it was like easier then for me to amplify and share the things that mm-hmm. they were working on and doing and other people were wanting to listen and learn whereas i felt like before 2020 i a lot of the work that i did i felt like i was still having to prove that racism still existed that disparity existed but with 2020 it was like everything's coming to light you know you can't deny it anymore kind of a thing so in a way i almost felt like for me and with the purpose of diverse we run it almost made it easier because then it was like okay i can stop trying to convince you that racism exists and give you now resources you know and direct you to people who have been doing the work and let me share with you now these stories and examples of runners of black runners who yes very you know very much are at risk for their safety and their lives every time you know they go for runs you know like here are the people who you know who back up these stories you know so in a way i felt like that was it was good Mm -hmm. it was a good change it was still i mean overwhelming but but yeah, and also then because all these like publications and brands and companies then we're trying to we're um then more proactive, I should say, <laughs> at identifying running groups and leaders who are black or indigenous or persons of color. Then I was like, "Oh, great. Now I know more people I can connect with." And so mm-hmm. so that was nice too. Those would be, I think Overall, the positive things (laughs) that came out of last year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I you know I resonate with you saying like I don't have to prove Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. now. You see, and now I can like kind of use my platform to continue to share these stories. But now it's like you're more open to it. Yeah, I mean it's so different in the sense that like for me, I I don't know if I ever cared about what the running industry was doing. Mm. I just, we just did our own thing. Mm. Like, we were Mm -hmm. so outside of the running industry. Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't follow Runner's World. We didn't read Runner's World. Mm -hmm. Didn't really care about Runner's World. Don't listen to this. (laughs) I know, like, okay. (laughs) Share Uh, to close friends
1: only. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. But no, seriously, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, like, then, like, 2020, it was like, all right, here comes the running community. They want something from us. They Mm -hmm. want, Mm -hmm. you know, like, obviously, we're doing something, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I don't know. It was good. It definitely was good to be able to be recognized Mm, mm -hmm. by the renting community. However, I didn't really care about it Mm -hmm, before. mm -hmm. But now it's like, all right, here we are. And I think even people now reach out to me, you know, and they're like, you know, these communities need you Mm. because they can't do what you do. Like they can't find and cultivate communities Mm -hmm. that we're doing. Mm -hmm. They're obviously not finding the people to tell stories like you do right Mm -hmm. and so now they need us they Mm -hmm. need us Mm -hmm. as a source as a plug
1: yeah
0: as a way to authentically do the work
1: yeah Mm
0: -hmm. but they need to pay you they need to pay us oh yeah right like Mm -hmm. don't just pull up in my dm don't we we share a bunch of dms (laughs) right like did you get this person did you get that person don't just pull up in my dm saying how much you admire the work i'm doing (laughs) yeah and then try to put your work on me without paying me. Yeah. And so like that also came with 2020.
1: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) What? You mean in exchange for like a free, (laughs) free pair of shorts and shoes, you don't want (laughs) to give up your time and network?
0: (laughs) I was already on my way out of the running. I mean, Mm -hmm. like not even out of my way, but like I was so tired of dealing with brands that I created my own. Yeah. And so I was already in the mix of creating it Mm -hmm. because I'm tired of creating this like authentic community of people that I'm going to hand to you so you can go mess up. Yeah. Or so that you can go do it. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, 2020 was, was that was, was that. So coming out of 2020, being that it was a tough year, mm-hmm. we find ourselves. You know, COVID obviously was was 2020 as well. Let's not forget that COVID <laughs> was 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. But like most of 2020 was like Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Within 2020, were you also feeling the, the 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 rise against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders? Were you feeling that in 2020 quietly? Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, am I talking about it? Am I not talking about it? Am I talking about it enough? Am I like going to stand behind Black Lives Matter? Because, you know, it was like Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I always find that mm-hmm. like, if that's big, like how much more is hiding behind it? And so like, mm-hmm. what was your experience with with the the rise in, in, in uh, hate crimes against Asian communities? And then in 2020, not, 2021, now it's prevalent. Now people are... Start, you know, well, I don't know if people are talking about it at the rate that they were before, mm-hmm. but finally we're starting to, to to see news outlets report on it. So, how much was that? How much of that did you see in 2020 that was kind of like below the surface versus like you not really sharing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk to me about that experience.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot um, to unpack. In there's so an open, <laughs> <laughs> there's an open-ended question <laughs> for you. <laughs> you know, from the very beginning when. Like We, at least we, as in like my family, we knew Mm -hmm. about this virus way back, you know, November, December of um, 2019, because we have relatives, you know, family members and friends, both in China and in Taiwan. And and so we had already been hearing about that. And our parents were already like. You guys need to be wearing masks everywhere you go and of course we're like no we're not because everyone's going to look at us like we're freaks. <laughs> but <laughs> little do we know what was ahead. Then as as it got stateside here, you know, as it started to break out in New York and then later here in Boston, like it was like a week or two after, you know, then in Boston when when it started to reach us. We knew, I, it, again, it's like instinctive default way of operating of like, okay, we need to be careful now. We know what's going to happen. I mean, just like what happened after nine eleven. and just, I mean, we knew mm-hmm. just like after even Virginia Tech shootings, you know, where it was a mm-hmm. Korean American young, young man. And actually after that, speaking of, after that incident that happened, we have a, a family friend of ours whose son then was playing that video game Counter Strike. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was playing a it. shooting game. Yeah, it's a shooting game. That's basically the gist of it. He was playing that in um, it was like computer science class or whatever, one of his classes, and um, or like study hall. And a white teacher saw and felt nervous, reported him, and he got he got suspended. Actually, he was expelled. But then later upon investigation and realizing that he really posed no threat, he was allowed to, he was a senior in high school. Originally, he was expelled, just period, but he was allowed to graduate, but then he wasn't allowed to attend his graduation. And like, you know, like, we know this, you know, these are, we have so many stories like this, right? And so as soon as the virus came stateside, we took our kids out from school, because of safety, of course. But then my husband was also like, I'm going to work from home, like starting now, uh, because I do not want to be that one one Asian guy, you know, who shows us, continues to still show up at the office place and then like gives everybody COVID somehow, you know, like not really, but you know, like that's just, that's yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. the mindset. Wow. So we were already like, okay, we need to be prepared. We need to just like be on guard. And then of course, sure enough, with the rhetoric that was used um, all throughout 2020 on demonizing an entire country and group of people. And then seeing the results of that, of course, of course, when you have the you know, world leader, your nation's leader, demonizing your ethnic group of origin, you know? Undoubtedly, we, we knew what was gonna happen. And we see that happening now, continuing to happen. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really heavy, but also though, through it, through 2020, like you were saying, um, with the, with the rise of the resurgence, I should say, right. Of, of the black lives matter movement, I still felt like, and also, you know, I've learned more details of like, you know, our, I hate to use just like cliche platitudes, but you know, our liberation is tied <laughs> to one another. And I think that's something that I have been learning more of, you know, um, in the last year of like, what does that actually, what did that mean? What did that look like? What did this partnership, what did what did this like solidarity look like historically in our nation? Mm-hmm. Because I only knew like little snippets here and there, right? Um, and I didn't see how both um, Chinese history in America and Black history in America, how it's all so interconnected and how even and how something like the model minority myth, you know, how that is a form of anti-Blackness, you know, of like creating division, of pitting the the Asian community against the Black community and how for many years of my life in existence, I was complicit in anti-blackness because of the privilege that I held as a lighter skinned Asian American female. Not to say like I didn't, dis- you know, I didn't experience discrimination, but there, there's just like so many, I think, complicated layers um, as to how our communities really are tied together and how ultimately it is the, again using these like sorry using these like trigger words but like it's the like systems right it's the the white supremacist structures in which we were all taught to operate under that oppresses all of our communities and that is what we need to work to change and mm-hmm. so so yeah like i didn't necessarily feel like i had to minimize my own voice you know as an asian american at all last year it because i just Mm -hmm. i don't know i just i saw the need and the pain you know that the black community was experiencing and carrying like i don't know i just i was like this is real and this is needed and it needs they we need to we need to change this and work on this you know so yeah it wasn't you know when you look at this that's fine right like if you look at the civil rights movement, it's there is a lot of solidarity and like we are we mutually benefit each other i guess you know right
0: what we need to realize is we are literally the majority oh yeah the oppressed are the majority yeah. the oppressed mm-hmm. are the majority mm-hmm. and white supremacy has divided us mm-hmm. pit us against each other and if we were to find ways to come together and stay together Mm -hmm. you know that's that's a way to fight white supremacy Mm -hmm. so then now that we're you know we're in 2021 we obviously are now finally starting to report on the numbers Mm -hmm. um of like the rise in asian hate crimes Mm -hmm. there are now starting to be there are coalitions Mm -hmm. of runners That have been put together, the Chinatown run, mm. Chinatown runners, which I don't think is actually, it's just a virtual platform, correct? I
1: think so. And then it's yeah. it connected several different running groups, um, at least in the Northeast, right? Like in New York and then in Boston.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's another so
1: one, but I can't remember where the. There's Philly, New oh, York, Philly. Boston,
0: okay. and then there's also San Francisco.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, which are probably like the bigger China, Chinatown yeah. areas, yeah, right? Yeah. So now it's like, it's becoming, you know, and then like, you know, we do this solidarity run in the week, on the weekend. And then like four days later, five days mm-hmm. later, there's this other hate crime yeah. in Atlanta that the media doesn't even want to report as hate crime. Yeah, no. And so
1: mm-hmm.
0: what, um, are you standing in front of those any any different, more different than you did in the past? Like, how are you, I mean, how are you dealing with it? And how are you, you know, cause you're like, you're already, you know, stepped into this role as an activist. activist right and so like are you staying in that role i mean it becomes so much yeah
1: a lot of people have been checking in which i appreciate um but i think at this point i my answer to everyone is like how am i doing i'm compartmentalizing because you just have to right because this what happened on uh in atlanta on tuesday this fall this is just like what two three weeks after Lunar New Year, which before Lunar Mm. New Year, right, the two weeks preceding that was like day after day after day of hate crimes against the elderly, you know, the Asian elderly in these various Chinatowns, mostly in California, but also in New York. I mean, hate crimes against Asians in New York have been going on ever since the start of the pandemic, you know, and with like, people having acid thrown on them or being like physically, you know, assaulted with knives or like um, given concussions and things like that, that had already been happening. But yeah, definitely it has felt the last few weeks have just been like wave after wave after wave. And, you know, you have to continue to operate in life and, you know, I have my kids and I'm also dealing with injury. And my husband right now is traveling out of town. And, <laughs> you know, there, there's just a lot of other things. And, you know, we have school things going on right now too. And so, so yeah, honestly, how I'm doing is like, I feel emotionally numb at this point because mm. I have to be. But, you know, I am thankful that um, it seems like the Asian American community has has been finding our voice um, over the last year, and I I really do want to thank the you know Black Lives Matter movement for helping us as Asian Americans to do the same, you know. Mm. Um, and again, I think this is this is so I guess like parallel reflective. I don't know. It parallels, you know, the civil rights movement before too. And how, uh, I don't know if it's because COVID has forced everyone to be online a lot more. (laughs) And, um, and we're able to just see, read, see, hear, you know, from, from people, from activists um, more now or what, but um, there is a sense of like, we're not alone in what we experience and what we feel and we're not alone in wanting change because now like we're also connected from the internet that we know we know that like we do have a collective voice we do have a collective power and we will use it you know mm-hmm. so um so yeah like so that's been <laughs> i don't know now, I forgot what your actual specific questions were, but those are just my thoughts <laughs> right now.,
0: no, that's great. That's great. No, I definitely understand having to be numb and cart um, and like just put feelings away, yeah, because you have to live your life. Yeah. Um, and people look to you as a leader mm-hmm. in this space, mm-hmm. yeah. right. And so like, you know, um, it is tough. It is very tough. How do you plan on, so what's next in terms of like diversity run? I know you're you were dealing with injury, yeah. and you're you're running more now. What's next in the sense of like, do you have any plans?
1: Well, for me personally, <laughs> um, I'm like rehabbing from injury, and uh, I was given entry to the Trans Rockies Run in Colorado. Um, that's going to be in August, and right now, like, is March. <laughs> um, what? So, what that is that event is a six day six day event that covers the span of about 120 miles through the Rocky Mountains so you're going anywhere from like 20 to 30 miles um, a day and it just seems incredible a couple of my friends have done it before and um i know that it's it's a lot on your body you know and so i'm not planning to like run it or race it per se but i want to you know, not die um, <laughs> or fall apart. And so um, yeah. I've been working with my coach on um, ways to, even though right now, like I said, I'm still like rehabbing from injury. How can I still build up cardiovascular volume and fitness as well as like strength train to be fit enough <laughs> to, mm-hmm. um, to go through that? Uh, so that's for me personally, what's up ahead. But in regards to diversity run, you know, maybe it's I, you know, a lot of people ask me what my, my big goals are and I, I hate to sound anticlimactic or something, but <laughs> maybe just longevity. I don't like, there are endless, endless runners, you know, who sure are, enough. who are persons of color, who, who, who deserve a platform. <laughs> and so uh, that's my goal. That's my goal is to be consistent and to be authentic and to share real stories um and help people feel seen and heard and know that you're not alone and that you belong you know so yeah <laughs> that's my big goal <laughs>
0: and that's and that's when that's when the magic happens yeah. authentic consistency
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: honestly mm-hmm. you know so i love that i actually love that a lot awesome well carolyn it's been a pleasure thank you for joining me i really appreciate your time Um, And I'm just looking forward to collaborating and working with you and hopefully running with you very soon.
1: I know, right? (laughs) It's like either one of us is injured or the other, (laughs) whenever, (laughs) at any given point. Yeah, I'm getting back into it. I'm
0: getting back into (laughs) it, too. So you should see yourself out there.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me here. It's it's really an honor. Honor,
0: honor, If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a quick review. This helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it with them. That wraps up today's show. Thank you, and I'll see you on the next episode.